0: This is the New Yorker Fiction Podcast from The New Yorker magazine. I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor at The New Yorker. Each month, we invite a writer to choose a story from the magazine's archives to read and discuss. This month, we're going to hear Ill Seen, Ill Said by Samuel Beckett, translated from the French by the author, which was published in The New Yorker in October of 1981.
1: There then she sits as though turned to stone face to the night, save for the white of her hair and faintly bluish white of face and hands all is black.
0: The story was chosen by Saeed Zyrafizadeh, who is the author of a memoir and two story collections, the most recent of which, American Estrangement, was published in 2021. Hi, Saeed. Hi, Deborah. So why did you choose a piece by Samuel Beckett to read uh, today?
1: <laughs> uh, I'll tell you exactly why, because when I, first, I was going through and saying what story would I like to read— And the moment I saw Beckett, I said, that's the one. That's the one. He made me want to be a writer. I used to be an actor. I've performed in some Beckett plays. I said, how could I not? I think this is the only Beckett that was ever published in The New Yorker.
0: Yeah. And it was published, I suppose, elsewhere as a book. Right. Even though it's, I think, less than 8,000 words. Mm -hmm. Um. But You think this is less than eight thousand? Yeah. Well there's a lot packed into that. It's yes, it's less yes. than eight thousand because he skips a lot of words. Mm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if he yes. spelled them yes. all out, it would that's be, right. you know, that's sixteen thousand. Right. <laughs> well that's that, you know, maybe we should talk a little about that kind of condensing that mm. Beckett did and, mm-hmm. and is that what made you want to be a writer?
1: Uh you know, I'll tell you the thing that made me want to be a writer does not appear that Beckett made me want to be a writer, I don't think appears in here, which is he could talk about dark things with humor. Mm-hmm. I don't I ain't seeing humor in this. Yeah, it's this, not a it's it, not a funny piece. No, it's it's unrelenting. Um and uh you know, obviously Godot and you know his other plays, there's this wryness and absurdity and he leans into it and um I think that was useful for me because I was a dark writer cuz I was a dark person because this was pre-therapy <laughs> and um I could only talk about things in the heaviest of ways. I couldn't find the lightness in them. And Beckett showed that here you can talk about these, you know, post-apocalyptic worlds, but there's still there, <laughs> there are still laughs in it. There's yeah. still comedy. Yeah. But as I said, this, this does not have this.
0: No, this is a uh, quite a late piece for Beckett, written when he was in his 70s, yeah. about uh, eight years before he died.
1: Mm-hmm. Maybe he's seeing the
0: end. He's certainly seeing an end yep. in, this, in this story. But then as soon as I say that, it's almost like he was, he's was he been seeing the end for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> he's seen the end since it began. Yes, that's, yeah, right, that's right. Yeah, it's always the beginning yes. of the end.
1: But maybe it's no longer funny to him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the subject matter here is not—I don't think you could find any comedy in it. Um, but he, 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 he's done it before, I think.
1: Crap's Last Tape. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen it. You know, and it's the old man sitting at his desk reviewing his life. Bursts of humor amid the sadness and the mm-hmm. despair, but still he's finding those levels. Yeah. Um, but this, he just, he, he wants the reader to really feel this.
0: Feel what he's feeling. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, it is, it's written in prose. We call it a story. Mm. We call it fiction. Um, is that what it is? <laughs> what would you call it? A prose poem? Yeah. That, yeah. There's that.
1: There's that. Um, there's the feeling of just let the words wash over you and try to suss out meaning But some of this feels like it's anyone's guess. It's hard to see the narrative in it. It's hard to know quite what I'm following. It feels more mood Mm -hmm. than story with twists and turns and wanting the reader to understand this to get to the next section. Yeah, it feels like it's more of like an immersive experience.
0: Okay, well, let's immerse immerse ourselves in it. All right, here we go. Um, Now, here's Saeed Syrafizade reading Il Seen, Il Said by Samuel Beckett, translated from the French by the author.
1: Il Seen, Il Said From where she lies, she sees Venus rise, on. From where she lies, when the skies are clear, she sees Venus rise, followed by the sun. Then she rails at the source of all life, on. At evening, when the skies are clear, she savors its star's revenge. At the other window, rigid, upright on her old chair, she watches for the radiant one, her old deal spindle-backed kitchen chair. It emerges from out the last rays, and sinking ever brighter is engulfed in its turn. On. She sits on, erect and rigid in the deepening gloom. Such helplessness to move she cannot help. Heading on foot for a particular point, often she freezes on the way unable till long after to move on, not knowing whither or for what purpose. Down on her knees especially, she finds it hard not to remain so forever, hand resting on hand on some convenient support, such as the foot of her bed, and on them her head. There then she sits as though turned to stone face to the night, save for the white of her hair and faintly bluish white of face and hands all is black. For an eye having no need of light to see, all this in the present as had she the misfortune to be still of this world. The cabin. Its situation. Careful. On. At the inexistent center of a formless place. Rather more circular than otherwise, finally. Flat, to be sure. To cross it in a straight line takes her from five to ten minutes. Depending on her speed and radius taken. He or she who loves to. He or she who now can only stray never strays. Stones increasingly abound, ever scanter even the rankest weed. Meager pastures hem it round on which it slowly gains, with none to gainsay, to have gainsaid, as if doomed to spread. How come a cabin in such a place? How came? Careful, before replying that in the far past at the time of its building there was clover growing to its very walls, implying furthermore that it the culprit— And from it as from an evil core that the what is the wrong word, the evil spread. And none to urge, none to have urged its demolition, as if doomed to endure, question answered, chalk stones of striking effect in the light of the moon. Let it be an opposition when the skies are clear. Quick then still under the spell of Venus, quick to the other window to see the other marvel rise. How whiter and whiter as it climbs, it whitens more and more the stones, "'rigid with face and hands against the pain she stands and marvels long. "'The two zones form a roughly circular whole, "'as though outlined by a trembling hand. "'Diameter. Careful. "'Say one furlong, on an average, beyond the unknown, "'mercifully, the feeling at times of being below sea level, "'especially at night when the skies are clear, "'invisibly nearby sea, inaudible, The entire surface under grass, once clear of the zone of stones, save where it has receded from the chalky soil, innumerable white scabs, all shapes and sizes, of striking effect in the light of the moon, in the way of animals, ovines only. After long hesitation, they are white and make do with little, whence suddenly come no knowing nor whither. As suddenly gone, unshepherded they stray as they list. Flowers? Careful, alone the odd crocus still at lambing time. And man? Shut of at last? Alas, no. For will she not be surprised one day to find him gone? Surprised, no, she is beyond surprise. How many? A figure come what may. Twelve. Wherewith to furnish the horizon's narrow round? She raises her eyes and sees one. Turns away and sees another. So on. Always afar. Still or receding. She never once saw one come toward her. Or she forgets. She forgets. Are they always the same? Do they see her? Enough. A moor would have better met the case. Were there a case better to meet? There had to be lambs, rightly or wrongly. A moor would have allowed of them, lambs for their whiteness, and for other reasons as yet obscure, another reason, and so that there may be none, at lambing time, that from one moment to the next she may raise her eyes to find them gone. A moor would have allowed of them, in any case too late. And what lambs, no trace of frolic, white splotches in the grass, aloof from the unheeding ewes, still, then a moment of straying, then still again, to think there is still life in this age, gently, gently. She is drawn to a certain spot, at times, there stands a stone, it, it is draws her, rounded rectangular block three times as high as wide, four, her stature now, her lowly stature, when it draws she must to it, she could not see it from her door, blindfold she could find her way, with herself she is no more converse, never had much, now none, as had she the misfortune to be still of this world, but when the stone draws then to her feet the prayer, take her, especially at night when the skies are clear, with moon or without, they take her and halt her before it, there she too as if of stone, but black, sometimes in the light of the moon, mostly of the stars alone. Does she envy it? To the imaginary stranger the dwelling appears deserted. Under constant watch it betrays no sign of life. The eye glued to one or the other window has nothing but black drapes for its panes. Motionless against the door he listens long. No sound. Knocks. No answer. Watches all night in vain for the least glimmer. Returns at last to his own and avows. No one. She shows herself only to her own, but she has no own. Yes, yes, she has one, and who has her? There was a time when she did not appear in the zone of stones. A long time, was not therefore to be seen going out or coming in. When she appeared only in the pastures, was not therefore to be seen leaving them, save as though by enchantment. But little by little she began to appear, in the zone of stones, first darkly, then more and more plain, till in detail she could be seen crossing the threshold both ways and closing the door behind her. Then a time when within her walls she did not appear, a long time. But little by little she began to appear, within her walls, darkly, time-truths-to-tell still current, though she within them no more, this long time. Yes, within her walls, so far at the window only, at one or the other window, wrapped before the sky— and only half seen so far a pallet and a ghostly chair. Ill half seen. And how in her faint comings and goings she suddenly stops dead, and how hard set to rise down on her knees. But there, too little by little, she begins to appear more plain, within her walls, as well as other objects, such as under her pillow, such as deep in some recess that distills shadowy album. Perhaps in time be by her when she takes it on her knees, See the old fingers fumble through the pages? And what scenes they can possibly be that draw the head down lower still and hold it in thrall? In the meantime, who knows no more than withered flowers? No more! But Quick sees her where she is best to be seized, in the pastures far from shelter. She crosses the zone of stones and is there, clearer and clearer as she goes, Quick seeing she goes out less and less, and so to say only in winter. Winter in her winter haunts, she wanders, far from shelter. Head bowed, she makes her slow, wavering way across the snow. It is evening, yet again. On the snow, her long shadow keeps her company. The others are there, all about. The twelve, afar, still are receding. She raises her eyes and sees one, turns away and sees another. Again she stops dead. Now the moment, or never. But something forbids, just time to begin to glimpse a fringe of black veil. The face must wait, just time before the eye cast down, where nothing to be seen in the grazing rays but snow, and how all about little by little her footprints are effaced. What is it defends her, even from her own, averts the intent gaze, incriminates the dearly one, forbids divining her, what but life-ending, hers, the other's, but so otherwise, she needs nothing, nothing utterable, whereas the other, how need in the end, but how, how need in the end. Times when she is gone, long lapses of time, at crocus time it would be making for the distant tomb, to have that on the imagination, on top of the rest, bearing by the stem or around her arm, the cross, or wreath, but she can be gone at any time from one moment of the year to the next suddenly no longer there, no longer anywhere to be seen, nor by the eye of flesh, nor by the other, then as suddenly there again, long after, so on, any other would renounce, avow, no one, no one more, any other than this other, and wait for her to reappear in order to resume, resume the, what is the word, what the wrong word, Riveted to some detail of the desert, the eye fills with tears. Imagination at wit's end spreads its sad wings. Gone she hears one night the sea as if afar, plucks up her long skirt to make better haste, and discovers her boots and stockings to the calf. Tears, last example the flagstone before the door that by dint by dint her little weight has grooved. Tears. Before left for the stockings, the boots have time to be ill-buttoned. Weeping over as weeping will see now the button-hook larger than life. Of tarnished silver pisiform, it hangs by its hook from a nail. It trembles faintly without cease, as if here without cease the earth faintly quaked. The oval handle is wrought to a semblance of scales. The shank a little bent leads up to the hook, the eye so far still dry. A lifetime of hooking has lessened its curvature. To the point at certain moments of its seeming unfit for service— child's play with the pliers to restore it was there once a time she did careful once once in a way till she could no more no more bring the jaws together oh not for weakness since when it hangs useless from the nail trembling imperceptibly without cease silver shimmers some evenings when the skies are clear close up then in which in defiance of reason the nail prevails long this image till suddenly it blurs She is there, again, let the eye from its vigil be distracted a moment, at break or close of day, distracted by the sky, by something in the sky, so when it resumes a curtain may be no longer closed, opened by her to let her see the sky, but even without that she is there, without the curtains being opened, suddenly open, a flash, the suddenness of all, She still without stopping, on her way without stopping, gone without going, back without returning. Suddenly it is evening, or dawn, the eye rivets the bare window. Nothing in the sky will distract from it more, while she from within looks her fill, (sniffs) occulted, nothing having stirred. Already all confusion, things and imaginings, as of always, confusion amounting to nothing, despite precautions. If only she could be pure figment unalloyed this old so dying woman so dead in the madhouse of the skull and nowhere else where no more precautions to be taken no precautions possible cooped up there with the rest hovel and stones the lot and the eye how simple all then if only all could be pure figment neither be nor been nor by any shift to be gently gently on careful here, to the rescue, two lights, two small skylights, set in the high-pitched roof on either side, each shedding dim light. No ceiling, therefore, necessarily. Otherwise, with the curtains closed, she would be in the dark, day and night in the dark. And what of it? She is done with raising her eyes, nearly done. But when she lies with them open, she can just make out the rafters. In the dim light, the skylights shed, an even dimmer light, as the panes slowly dimmen, All in black, she comes and goes. The hem of her long black skirt brushes the floor. But most often she is still, standing or sitting, lying or on her knees, in the dim light the skylight shed. Otherwise, with the curtains closed for preference, she would be in the dark, in the dark day and night. Next to emerge from the shadows and inner wall, only slowly to dissolve in favor of a single space. East the bed, west the chair. A place divided by her use of it alone. How more desirable in every way an interior of a piece. The eye breathes again, but not for long. For slowly it emerges again. Rises from the floor and slowly up to lose itself in the gloom. The semi-gloom. It is evening. The button-hook glimmers in the last rays. The palette scarce to be seen. Weary of the inanimate, the eye in her absence falls back on the twelve. Out of her sight is she of theirs alone turn where she may she keeps her eyes fixed on the ground on the way at her feet where it has come to a stop winter evening not to be precise all so bygone to the twelve then for want of better the widowed eye no matter which in the distance stiff he stands facing front in the setting sun dark great coat reaching to the ground antiquated block hat finally the face caught full in the last rays Quick enlarge and devour before night falls. Having no need of light to see the eye makes haste before night falls. So it is, so itself belies. Then glutted, then torpid under its lid makes way for unreason. What if not her do they ring around? Careful, she who looks up no more looks up and sees them. Some among them, still or receding, receding those too closely seen who move to preserve their distance, while at the same time others advance, those in the wake of her wandering. She never once saw one come toward her, or she forgets, she forgets, now some do. Toward but never nearer, thus they keep her in the center, more or less. What then if not her do they ring around? In their ring, whence she disappears unhindered, whence they let her disappear. Instead of disappearing in her company, so the unreasoning goes, while the eye digests its pittance, in its private dark, in the general dark. As hope expires of her ever-reappearing, she reappears. At first sight, little changed. It is evening. It will always be evening. When not night, she emerges at the fringe of the pastures and sets forward across them, slowly with fluttering step as if wanting mass. Suddenly still, and as suddenly on her way again— At this rate, it will be black night before she reaches home. Home. But time slows all this while, suits its speed to hers. Whence from beginning to end of her course, no loss or but little of twilight. A matter at most of a candle or two. Bearing south as best she can, she casts toward the moon to come her long black shadow. They come at last to the door holding a great key. At the same instant night, when not evening night, Head bowed, she still stands exposed, facing east, all dead still, all save hanging from a finger the old key polished by use. Trembling, it faintly shimmers in the light of the moon. Wooed from below, the face consents at last. In the dim light reflected by the flag, calm slab worn and polished by age-long comings and goings, livid pallor, not a wrinkle, how serene it seems, this ancient mask, worthy those worn by certainly newly dead. True the light leaves to be desired. The lids occult the longed-for eyes. Time will tell them wash in blue, where tears perhaps not for nothing. Unimaginable tears of old, lashes jet-black remains of the brunette she was, perhaps once was, when yet alas, yet brunette, skipping the nose at the call of the lips these no sooner broached are withdrawn, the slab having darkened with the darkening sky, black night henceforward and at dawn an empty place, with no means of knowing whether she has gone in or under cover of darkness her ways again. White stones more plentiful every year, as well, say, every instant, in a fair way if they persist to bury all, first zone rather more extensive than at first sight ill-seen and every year rather more, of striking effect in the light of the moon these millions of little sepulchres. But in her absence but cold comfort, From it then in the end to the second miscalled pastures, leprous with white scars where the grass has receded from the chalky soil, in contemplation of this erosion the eye finds solace. Everywhere stone is gaining, whiteness, more and more every year, as well say every instant, everywhere every instant whiteness is gaining. The eye will return to the scene of its portrayals. On centennial leave from where tears freeze, free again an instant to shed from scalding on the blessed tears once shed, while exulting at the white heap of stone, ever heaping for want of better on itself, which if it persist will gain the skies, the moon, Venus. From the stones she steps down into the pastures, as from one tier of a circus to the next, a gap time will fill. For faster than the stones invade it, the other ground upheaves its own, so far in silence A silence time will break, this great silence evening and night, then all along the verge the muffled thud of stone on stone, of those spilling their excess on those emergent. Only now and then at first, then at ever briefer intervals, till one continuous din, with none to hear, decreasing as the levels draw together to silence once again. Evening and night, in the meantime she is suddenly sitting with her feet in the pastures, were it not for the empty hands on the way, who knows to the tomb? Back from it, then more likely. On the way back from the tomb, frozen true to her want, she seems turned to stone, face to the further confines the eye closes in vain to see. At last they appear an instant, north where she passes them always, shroud of radiant haze, where to melt into paradise. The long white hair stares in a fan, above and about the impassive face, stares as if shocked by some ancient horror, or by its continuance, or by another, that leaves the face stone-cold, silence at the eye of the scream, which say, ill say, both, all three, question answered. Seated on the stone she is seen from behind, from the waist up, trunk-black rectangle, nape under frill of black lace, white half-halo of hair, face to the north, the tomb, eyes on the horizon perhaps, are closed to see the headstone, the withered crocuses, endless evening. She lit a slant by the last rays, they make no difference, none to the black of the cloth, none to the white hair, it too dead still, in the still air, void-like calm as always, evening and night, suffice to watch the grass, how motionless it droops, till under the relentless eye it shivers, with faintest shiver from its innermost, equally the hair, rigidly horrent it shivers at last for the eye about to abandon, and the old body itself, when it seems of stone, is it not in fact a shiver from head to foot? Let her but go and stand still by the other stone, it white from afar in the pastures, and the eye go from one to the other, back and forth, what calm then, and what storm, beneath the weeds mock calm, not possible any longer except as figment, not endurable, nothing for it but to close the eye for good and see her, her and the rest, close it for good and all and see her to death, unremittent in the shack, over the stones, in the pastures, the haze, at the tomb, and back, and the rest, for good and all, to death, be shut of it all, on to the next, next figment, close it for good this filthy eye of flesh, What forbids, careful. Such, such fiasco that folly takes a hand, Such bits and scraps, Seen no matter how and said as seen, Dread of black, of white, of void, Let her vanish, and the rest for good, And the sun, last rays, And the moon and Venus, Nothing left but black sky, White earth, or inversely, No more sky or earth, finished high and low, nothing but black and white, everywhere no matter where, but black, void, nothing else, contemplate that, not another word, home at last, gently, gently. Panic, past, pass on, the hands, seen from above, they rest on the pubis intertwined, strident white, their faintly leaden tinge killed by the black ground, suspicion of lace at the wrists, to go with the frill, they tighten, then loosen their clasp, slow systole, diastole, and the body that scandal, while its sole hands in view, on its sole pubis, dead still to be sure, on the chair, after the spectacle, slowly its spell unbinding, on and on they keep, tightening and loosening their clasp, rhythm of a laboring heart, till when almost despaired of gently part, suddenly, gently, Spreading rise, and in mid-air, palms uppermost come to rest. Behold our hollows. Then, after a moment as if to hide, the lines fall back, pronating as they go, and light flat on head of thighs. Within an ace of the crotch, it is now the left hand lacks its third finger. A swelling, no doubt. A swelling, no doubt, of the knuckle between first and second phalanges preventing one panic day withdrawal of the ring, the kind called Keeper. Still as stones, they defy as stones do the eye. Do they as much as feel the clad flesh? Does the clad flesh feel them? Will they then never quiver? This night, assuredly not. For before they have, before the eye has time, they missed. Who is to blame? Or what? They? The eye? The missing finger? The keeper? The cry? What cry? All five, all six, and the rest all, all to blame. All. "'Winter evening in the pastures, the snow has ceased, "'her steps so light they barely leave a trace, "'have barely left having ceased. "'Just enough to be still visible, adrift the snow, "'whither in her head while her feet stray thus, "'hither and thither too, or unswerving to the mirage? "'And where, when she halts, the eye discerns afar "'a kind of stain, finally the steep roof "'whence part of the fresh fall has slid, Under the low, lowering sky, the north is lost. Obliterated by the snow, the twelve are there. Invisible were she to raise her eyes. She, on the contrary, immaculately black. Not having received a single flake. Nothing needed now but for them to start falling again, which therefore they do. First one by one, here and there. Then thicker and thicker, plumb through the still air. Slowly she disappears, together with the trace of her steps and that of the distant roof. How find her way home, even as the homing bird, safe as the saying is and sound. All dark in the cabin while she whitens afar, silence but for the imaginary murmur of flakes beating on the roof, and every now and then a real creak, her company, here without having to close the eye, sees her afar, motionless in the snow under the snow, the button-hook trembles from its nail as if a night like any other. Facing the black curtain, the chair exudes its solitude for want of a fellow table. Far from it in a corner, see suddenly an antique coffer. In its therefore no lesser solitude, it perhaps that creaks, and in its depths who knows the key, the key to close. But this night the chair, its immovable air, less than the, more than the empty seat the barred back is piteous. Here, if she eats here, she sits to eat. The eye closes in the dark and sees her in the end. With her right hand as large as life, she holds the edge of the bowl resting on her knees. With her left, the spoon dipped in the slop. She waits for it to cool, perhaps. But no, merely frozen again, just as about to begin. At last, in a twin movement, full of grace, she slowly raises the bowl toward her lips while at the same time, with equal slowness, bowing her head to join it, having set out at the same instant they meet halfway, and there come to rest, fresh rigor before the first spoonful slobbered largely back into the slop. Others no happier till time to part lips and bowl and slowly back with never a slip to their starting points, as smooth and even fro as two. Now and again the rigid Memnon pose. With her right hand she holds the edge of the bowl. With her left the spoon dipped in the slop. So far, so good. But before she can proceed, she fades and disappears. Nothing now for the staring eye, but the chair in its solitude. One evening she was followed by a lamb. Reared for slaughter like the others, it left them to follow her. And the present, to conclude, also so bygone. Slaughter apart, it is not like the others. Hanging to the ground in matted coils, its fleece hides the little shanks. Rather than walk, it seems to glide like a toy in tow. It halts at the same instant as she. At the same instant as she strays on, Stock still as she it waits with head like hers extravagantly bowed, Clash of black and white that far from muting the last rays amplify. It is now her puniness leaps to the eye. Thanks, it would seem, to the lowly creature next her. Brief paradox, for suddenly together they move on. Hither and thither toward the stones, There she turns and sits, Does she see the white body at her feet? Head hot now she gazes into emptiness, that profusion. Or with closed eyes sees the tomb, the lamb goes no further. Alone night fallen she makes for home, home, as straight as were it to be seen. Was it ever over and done with questions? Dead the whole brood no sooner hatched, long before, in the egg, long before, Over and done with answering, with not being able, with not being able not to want to know, with not being able, no, never, a dream, question answered. What remains for the eye exposed to such conditions, to such vicissitude of hardly there and wholly gone? Why none but to open no more, till all done, she done, or left undone, tenement and unreason, no more unless to rest, In the outward and so-called visible, that daub, quick again to the brim the old nausea, and shut again, on her, till she be whole, or abort, question answered. The coffer, empty after long nocturnal search, nothing, save in the end in a cranny of dust a scrap of paper, jagged along one edge as if torn from a diary, on its yellowed face in barely legible ink two letters followed by a number, TWO. Seventeen, or th, two or th seventeen, otherwise blank, otherwise empty. She re-emerges on her back, dead still. Evening and night, dead still on her back. Evening and night, the bed, careful, a pallet, hardly if head as ill seen when on her knees, praying if she prays. Pah! She has only to grovel deeper or grovel elsewhere, before the chair or the coffer, or at the edge of the pastures with her head on the stones. A pallet then flat on the floor, no pillow. Hidden from chin to foot under a black covering, she offers her face alone. Alone, face defenseless evening and night. Quick the eyes, the moment they open. Suddenly they are there, nothing having stirred. One is enough, one staring eye, gaping pupil thinly nimbed with wash and blue. No trace of humor, none and more unseeing, as if dazed by what's seen behind the lids, the other plums its dark, then opens in its turn, dazed in its turn. Incontinent, the void, the zenith, evening again, when not night it will be evening, death again of deathless day, on the one hand embers, on the other ashes, day without end, one and lost, unseen. On resumption the head is covered, no matter, no matter now, such the confusion now between real and, how say it's contrary, no matter, that old tandem, such now the confusion between them once so twain, and such the farrago from eye to mind, for it to make what sad sense of it may, no matter now, such equal liars both, real in, how ill say it's contrary, the counter-poison. Still fresh the coffer fiasco, what now of all things but a trapdoor, so cunningly contrived that even to the lidded eye it scarcely shows. Careful. Raise it at once and risk another rebuff? No question. Simply savor in advance within mind the grisly cupboard its conceivable contents. For the first time then wooden floor, its boards in line with the traps designed to conceal it, promising this flagrant concern with camouflage. But beware. Question, by the way, what wood of all woods? Ebony, why not? Ebony boards? Black on black, the brushing skirt? Stark, the skeleton chair, death paler than life? While head included, she lies hidden time for a turn in the pastures. No shock were she already dead, as of course she is. But in the meantime, more convenient not. Still living then, she lies hidden, having for some reason covered her head, or for no reason. Night, when not evening night. Winter night, no snow, for the sake of variety, to vary the monotony, the limp grass strangely rigid under the weight of the rhyme, clawed by the long black skirt how if but heard it must murmur, moonless star-studded sky reflected in the erosions filmed with ice, the silence merges into music infinitely far and as unbroken as silence, ceaseless celestial winds in unison, for all, all matters now. The stones gleam faintly afar, and the cabin walls seen white at last. Said White, the guardians, the twelve are there, but not at full muster. Well, above all, not understand. Simply note how those still faithful have moved apart. Such ill-seen that night in the pastures. While head included, she lies hidden, under unclose inspection, a long great coat. A man's by the buttons, the buttonholes, eyes closed, does she see him? White walls, high time, white as new, no wind, not a breath, unbeaten on all by all that comes beating down. And mystery the sun has spared them, the sun that once beat down. So east and west sides the required clash, south gable, no problem. But the other, that door, careful, black too, black too. And the roof, slates, more, small slates black too brought from a ruined mansion. What tales had they tongues to tell? their long tale told, such the dwelling, ill-seen, ill-said, outwardly, high time. Change the stone that draws her when revisited alone, or she who changes it when side by side. Now alone it leans, backward or forward as the case may be. Is it to nature alone it owes its rough-hewn air, or to some too-human hand forced to desist? As Michelangelo's from the Regicides bust? If there may not be no more questions, let there at least be no more answers. Granite of no common variety, assuredly, black as jade, the jasper that flecks its whiteness. On its what is the wrong word, its uptilted face, obscure graffiti, scrawled by the ages for the eye to solicit in vain. Winter evenings on her doorstep, she imagines she can see it glitter afar. When from their source in the west-southwest, the last rays rake its averse face, such ill-seen the stone alone where it stands, at the far fringe of the pastures. On her way out, with the flowers as unerring as best she can, she lingers by it, as on her way back with empty hands, lingers by it a while on her way on, toward the one or other abode, as unerring as best she can. See them again, side by side, not quite touching, lit aslant by the latest last rays they cast to the east-north-east, their long parallel shadows. Evening, therefore, winter evening, it will always be evening, always winter, when not night, winter night, no more lambs, no more flowers, empty-handed she shall go to the tomb, until she go no more, or no more return, so much for that undistinguishable the twin shadows, till one at length more dense as if of a body better opaque, at length more still, as faintly at length the other trembles under the staring gaze. Throughout this confrontation the sun stands still, that is to say the earth, not to recoil on until the parting. Then on its face over the pastures and then the stones the still living shadow slowly glides, Lengthening and fading more and more, but never quite away, under the hovering eye. Close up of a dial, nothing else. White disc divided in minutes, unless it be in seconds. Sixty black dots, no figure. One hand only, finest of fine black darts. It advances by fits and starts, no tick. Leaps from dot to dot with so lightning a leap that but for its new position it had not stirred. Whole nights may pass, as may but a fraction of a second or any intermediate lapse of time soever before it flings itself from one degree to the next. None at any moment overleaping in all fairness be it said. Let it, when discovered, be pointing east, having thus covered after its fashion, assuming the instrument plumb the first quarter of its latest hour, unless it be its latest minute. Then doubt certain— Then despair certain nights of its ever attaining the last, ever regaining north. She reappears at evening at her window, when not night, evening. If she will see Venus again, she must open it. Well, first draw aside the curtain and then open. Head bowed, she waits to be able, mindful perhaps of evenings when she was able too late. Black night fallen, but no, in her head too pure, wait. The curtain... Seen closer thanks to this hiatus, it reveals itself at last for what it is. A black greatcoat, hooked by its tails from the rod it hangs sprawling inside out like a carcass in a butcher's stall. Or better, inside, in for the pathos of the dangling arms. Some infinitesimal quaver as the button-hook and passum. Another novelty, the chair drawn up to the window— this to raise the line of sight on the fair prey loftier when first sighted than at first sight ill seen. What empty space henceforward, for long pacing to and fro in the gloom. Suddenly in a single gesture she snatches aside the coat, and to again on a sky as black as it, and then, careful, have her sit, lie, kneel, go, she too vacillates till in the end the back and forth prevails, sends her wavering north and south from wall to wall in the kindly dark. She is vanishing with the rest, the already ill-seen bedimmed and ill-seen again annulled. The mind betrays the treacherous eyes and the treacherous word their treacheries, hay, soul, certitude, the same that reigns beyond the pastures. It gains them already. It will gain the zone of stones, then the dwelling through all its chinks, the eye will close in vain, to see but haze, not even, be itself but haze, how can it ever be said, quick however ill said before it submerges all, light, in one treacherous word, dazzling haze, light in its might at last, where no more to be seen, to be said, gently, gently, the face yet again in the light of the last rays, no loss of pallor, None of cold, suspended on the verge for this sight, the westering sun, that is the eastering earth, the thin lips seem as if never again to part, peeping from their join a suspicion of pulp, unlikely sight of olden kisses given and received, or given only, or received only, impressive above all the corners imperceptibly upcurved, a smile? Is it possible, ghosts of an ancient smile smiled finally once and for all, such ill half seen the mouth in the light of the last rays, suddenly they leave it, rather it leaves them off again to the dark, there to smile on if smile is what it is. Re-examined, rid of light, the mouth changes, unexplainably, lips as before, same closure, same hint of extruding pulp, at the corners same imperceptible lackness, in a word the smile still there, if smile is what it is, neither more, nor less, less, and yet no longer the same, true that light distorts, particularly sunset, that mockery, true too that the eyes then a gaze for the viewless planet are now closed on other viewlessness, of which more, if ever, anon. There the explanation at last. This same smile established with eyes open is with them closed, no longer the same, though between the two inspections the mouth unchanged, utterly good, but in what way no longer the same? What there now that was not there? What there no more that was? Enough. Away. Back after many winters... Long after in this endless winter, this endless heart of winter, too soon, she is when fled, where is when fled, still or again, eyes closed in the dark, to the dark, in their own dark, on the lips same minute smile, if smile is what it is, In short alive as she alone knows how neither more nor less, less compared to true stone. Within, as sadly as before, all as at first sight ill-seen, with the happy exception of the light's enhanced opacity, dim the light of day from them were day again to dawn, without, on the other hand, some progress toward unbroken night, universal stone, day no sooner risen, fallen, scrapped all the ill-seen, ill-said, the eye has changed in its driveling scribe, absence has changed them, not enough, time to go again we're still more to change once back too soon changed but not enough strangers but not enough to all the ill-seen ill-said then back again disarmed for to finish with it all at last with her and her rags of sky and earth and if again too soon go again change still more again then back again barring impediment, ah, so on, till fit to finish with it all at last, all the trash, an unbroken night, universal stone, so first go, but first see her again, as when fled, and the abode, that under the changed eye it too may change, begin, just one parting look, before all meet again, then go, barring impediment, ah, but see she suddenly no longer there, where suddenly fled, Quick then the chair before she reappears. At length, every angle. With what one word convey its change? Careful, less, ah, the sweet one word. Less, it is less, the same but less. Whensoever the glare, true that the light. See now how words too, a few drops miss haphazard. Then strangury, to say the least. Less, it will end by being no more. But never having been, divine prospect true that the light suddenly enough and way for remembrance closed again to that end the vile jelly or opened again or left as it was however that was till all recalled first finally by far hanging from their skirts two black great coats followed by the first hazy outlines of what possibly a hutch when suddenly enough remembrance when all worse there than when first ill seen The pallet, the chair, the coffer, the trap, Alone the eye has changed, alone can cause to change, In the meantime nothing wanting, wrong, The button-hook, the nail, wrong, There they are again, still, worse there than ever, Unchanged for the worse, Ope I and at them to begin, But first the partition, It rid they too would be, It lest they buy as much, It of all the properties doubtless the least obdurate, see the instant see it again when unaided it dissolved so to say of itself with no help from the eye not till long after to reappear as if reluctantly for what reason for one not far to seek for others then set obscure one other above all one other still far to seek analogy of the heart the skull Hear from here the howls of laughter of the damned enough quicker Quick see how all in keeping with the chair, minimally less, no more, well on the way to inexistence, as to zero the infinite, quick say, and of her, as much, quick find her again in that black heart, that mock brain, the sheet between tips of trembling fingers, in two, four, eight, old frantic fingers, not paper anymore, each eighth apart, into, for, finish with the knife, hack into shreds, down the plug hole, on to the next, white, quick blacken. Alone the face remains, of the rest beneath its covering, no trace. During the inspection a sudden sound, startling without consequence for the gaze the mind awake. How explain it? And without going so far, how say it? Far behind the eye the quest begins, What time the event recedes, when suddenly to the rescue it comes again, forthwith the uncommon common noun collapse, reinforced a little later if not enfeebled by the infrequent slumberous. A slumberous collapse, too, then far from the still agonizing eye a gleam of hope, but the grace of these modest beginnings, within second sight the shack in ruins, to scroot together with the inscrutable face, all curiosity spent. Later, while the face still unyielding another sound of fall, but this time sharp, heightening the fond illusion of general havoc in train, here a great leap into what brief future remains and summary puncture of that puny balloon, far ahead to the instant when the coats will have gone from their rods and the button hook from its nail, and been hove the sign no more than that. Sigh upon sigh, till all sighed quite away, All the fond trash, destined before being to be no more than that, Last sights of relief. Quick beforehand again two mysteries, not even, Mild shocks, not even, in such abeyance the mind then, And from then on, first the curtains gone without loss of dark, Sweet foretaste of the joy at journey's end, Second, after long hesitation, no trace of the fallen where they fell, no trace of all the ado, alone on the one hand the rods alone, a little bent, and alone on the other, most alone the nail, unimpaired, all set to serve again, like unto its glorious ancestors, at the place of the skull, one April afternoon, deposition done." full glare now on the face present throughout the recent future as seen ill seen throughout the past neither more nor less less collated with its cast it lives beyond a doubt were it only by virtue of its imperfect pallor and imperceptible tremor unworthy of true plaster heartening on the other hand the eyes persistently closed no doubt a record in this position unobserved at least till now suddenly the look nothing having stirred, look, too weak a word, too wrong, its absence, no better, unspeakable globe, unbearable, ample time, nonetheless, a few seconds for the iris to be lacking, wholly, as if engulfed by the pupil, and for the sclerotic, not to say the white, to appear reduced by half, already that much less, at least, but at what cost? soon to be foreseen, save unforeseen, two black blanks, fit vent tolls of the soul that jakes, here reappearance of the skylights opaque to no purpose henceforward, seeing the black night, or better blackness, pure and simple, that limpid they would shed, blackness in its might at last, where no more to be seen, perforce to be seen, Absence, supreme good and yet, Illumination then go again, and on return no more trace, On earth's face, of what was never, And if by mishap some left then go again, For good again, so on, till no more trace, On earth's face, instead of always the same place, Slaving away forever in the same place, At this and that trace, and what if the eye could not, No more tear itself away from the remains of trace, Of what was never, quick-say-it-suddenly-can-and-farewell-say-say-farewell-if-only-to-the-face-of-her-tenacious-trace. Decision no sooner reached or rather long after than what is the wrong word? For the last time at last for to end yet again what the wrong word? Than revoked, no but slowly dispelled, a little very little like the last wisps of day when the curtain closes— of itself by slow millimeters or drawn by a phantom hand farewell to farewell then in that perfect dark fornell darling sound pip for end begun first last moment grant only enough remain to devour all moment by glutton moment sky earth the whole kit and boodle not another crumb of carrion left lick chops and basta no one moment more one last grace to breathe that void no happiness.
0: That was Saïd Seyrafizade, reading Ill Seen, Ill Said, by Samuel Beckett, translated from the French by the author. The story was published in French under the title Mal Maldi in 1981. The English translation appeared in The New Yorker in October of 1981 and was published in book form in 1982. Hi, I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor of The New Yorker. What is this story about <laughs> for you?
1: Well, uh, <laughs> I think, and maybe this is obvious, but it's of a, the last days of an of an old woman who's, who's meeting her end, and she's alone, and she's in the country, and this is the final moments. Did you have a different take? If you did, please tell me. I'd love to hear.
0: I mean, I have a few possible takes. Yeah. But— First, let's think about who's telling it. Mm. If it's the story of the last days of a woman and yet it's told by someone else. Yeah. It's told by someone else who's seeing her, not seeing her, seeing her in pieces. You know, who is that mm-hmm. and what is that?
1: Who's that narrator? Yeah. That's a great question. You know, it's weird because when I um when I read it, I actually made the mistake. I misread ill said. I read it as aisle said, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Ah, the the narrator <laughs> appears. <laughs> there we go." It's like, "No, it's a mystery. It's a mystery." Um, I, because I know Beckett's work, I can't. I, I have Beckett in my head. I have I mm-hmm. have Beckett yeah. and and what he's done before.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's not clear if it's intended to be the author's voice or if it's intended to be a character speaking. It
1: definitely has personality. Yeah, there seems like there's an. A, a a point of view and an opinion and commentary.
0: Mm-hmm. There's a lot of pain. Yes. Um, a lot of suffering yeah. in this person who's yes. <laughs> speaking.
1: Yes, relentless
0: pain. Until the very end. Yeah? When there's happiness. At
1: the very end.
0: Yes. At the very end.
1: The <laughs> final moment. You've got to wait for it. <laughs> so I have a couple of theories.
0: Um, the first one that occurred to me while reading is and I actually, I'm not sure if it's... I I think perhaps this is wrong. But anyway, is that this is a writer trying to see his character, trying Hmm. to see his story. And he keeps getting these flashes and visions, things in the room, Mm -hmm. pieces of this woman, pieces of her life. And he keeps going back to try to see more, fill it out.
1: I love it. So that's where we're getting the... A lot of the truncation, the missing notes. Work.
0: Notes for a story, right? Notes for a story. Um, however, I think that theory is wrong. Okay. That was my first theory. Not okay. my first All theory. Right. All right. <laughs> um, another theory, and this was triggered by reading a bit more about Beckett. It, it actually doesn't particularly matter if this is his mother or not, but is that this is someone he's haunted by. Could be his mother, who was widowed for a long time, with whom he went to his father's grave several times, and with whom he had a difficult relationship. So that's, that's a possibility. But even in this second scenario, it doesn't particularly matter if it's his mother or not. It just matters that it's someone who's died, who he is haunted by and can't stop seeing in this particular scenario, but that doesn't preclude your first one. Well, Those maybe are, it amplifies the first one. Yeah,
1: and and also I did wonder about that because in Crap's last tape, he talks crap is talks about his mother mm-hmm. dying, and I see flashes of that. And this is the sort of the comedy that Beck achieved in Crap's last tape. That's not happening here. Uh, he talks about viduity, which means widow, mm-hmm, widowhood. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the character doesn't know what the word means. <laughs> and so he has to look it up in his giant dictionary. But there were times when I, I saw that and I and I considered that, yeah, it's it's mom. Mm-hmm. It's mom.
0: I mean, I feel that we get clues that this is not a living person, right? We get a lot of those.
1: Well, there's a moment, right, Deborah, when it says... She's already dead, of course, or something like yeah, that. yeah, she's so dead in the yeah.
0: madhouse of the skull and nowhere else mm-hmm. in the madhouse of his skull, presumably. And he says all this in the present, as had she the misfortune to be still of this world. So she's not still of this world. And yet something, something is there in his mind's eye, you know, which he this this eye, this seeing eye that keeps keeps coming back whether it's, he says, eye of the flesh or the other. So presumably the other is eye of the mind.
1: Okay, so I got, for, there, there's another one. This is one I was thinking of. It's no shock were she already dead, as of course she is.
0: Yeah. But then,
1: I don't know, unreliable narrator? or Yeah, yeah. Or he's taking, he, our narrator is taking poetic license there. It, I read that as, I that was shocking when I saw that. Oh, this is, so this is from the grave? But then I thought maybe it's a a death of the soul and not to be Mm -hmm. taken literally. Mm -hmm. It's more figurative. Yeah. But that's – by the way, this
0: is on Beckett because if you really want the reader to know, make it clear. Of course. (laughs) And, well, if he's thinking about the reader, he, A, doesn't care all that much if we know the reality and he wants us to have options. Do you think he cares about the reader? I think he wants the reader to work really hard. Work really hard. He's not going to spoon-feed any any meaning or interpretation to us. He's going to let us work for that. Do you think we're working harder than he did? I think he had to work pretty hard. Yeah? Yeah. You don't?
1: I think this could be easier to do as opposed to a narrative where you're trying to convey a story throughout. Mm-hmm. I take it you don't think so.
0: I, I think this is just... I felt as though every line was painful for him Mm. and that there's so much frustration Mm -hmm. coming through in each sentence. And, and, you know, whether that frustration is is a writer unable to see exactly what he wants to write or whether Mm. it's a a man mourning a mother he had complex feelings for, it doesn't really matter. You just feel suffering in the writing of this Mm Or at least I do. Yeah, no, qu- <laughs> <laughs>
1: no question. And then yeah. also, I,
0: I feel like it's about memory. I feel like, yeah. you know, he has, when she disappears and then he doesn't see her, there's, there's, you know, from one moment of the year to the next, suddenly no longer there, no longer anywhere to be seen. And then it's suddenly there again. If you lose someone or, or you just don't, you can go a while without thinking of them, mm-hmm. you know, and then suddenly be hit by a sense of loss, even if you haven't thought about the person in a year. I felt that. Whether this narrator is thinking about this woman or not thinking about this woman, he's feeling pain over it.
1: Yeah. The part that really stuck out to me was the lamb. I don't know if you remember that. Mm -hmm. It's the lamb that follows the woman, Mm -hmm. which, damn, that felt heartbreaking to me.
0: Sort of shaggy little lamb. (sighs) Yeah.
1: And, hey, listen—it's also a moment when there's another character, so that could also be a reason why I jumped off the page. You know, here's something new that's mm-hmm. being introduced.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, what about the twelve, the guardians? What do you make of them?
1: Um, I—I I don't know. I yeah. wasn't—I wasn't considering those.
0: To me, there's a big mystery there. You know, one, at one point. There's sort of the men who are still in this landscape, and there's 12 of them, but they mm-hmm. always keep their distance. And one of them's wearing, a, described as wearing a greatcoat mm. and an antiquated hat. And then the greatcoats are suddenly the curtains and the blanket in the, in the cabin. So right. something about her sort of being clothed in the men of her life, I don't know.
1: And then I think the greatcoat appears at the end. It's hanging on the hook, or she thinks it's hanging on the hook.
0: They're hanging from the curtain rods, ah. right? They've been used as curtains. With the arms dangling, mm-hmm. you know, they're hanging from the tails. So also kind of a morbid image.
1: The ghosts are still there. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, one thing about both the lamb and these 12 guardians, one thing it evoked for me is, is religious imagery. You know, you've mm-hmm. got the 12 apostles, or the mm-hmm. 12 disciples, you've got the lamb. Yep. And we know that's not really Beckett's imagery. That's, that's not. That's a good But point. It, it may be this woman's imagery, right? Um, right. So I thought that was interesting. He mocks to that think imagery. About. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this little lamb of Jesus is mm. is the shaggy one with yes. its, its yeah. you know, its wool hanging down to the ground. Its fleece. I was thinking about Waiting yeah. for
1: Godot, where he's you know the idea of God, but uh, yeah, that's a that's that's a that's a good observation. Um, Would you have any notes for him on this story?
0: Mm -hmm. How would I edit it?
1: Yeah. Do you dare edit Beckett?
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's a long story, right? I mean, we both suffered reading it, but I think it's meant to induce that Mm -hmm. feeling that you cannot shake this. He keeps coming back. and, And actually, towards the end, there's that moment where he goes away for a long time and he comes back to see... If things have changed, he comes back mm. to these images, and, and he's like, yes, there's less of them. And that, to me, was really a portrait of grief, right? You go away, you come back, and it doesn't hurt so much. And by the very end, mm. these images of this woman and her life, they're, they're dissolving, right? They're coming apart, and at the very end, they're devoured. They're gone. There's a void, and he's happy. So, yeah, I mean, to me, it was, it was about the process of grief, and recovering from it. So yeah. it's meant to be long, I guess yeah, is what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like it's meant to feel right. laborious Right, to get there.
1: Yeah, the reading experience is part of what's happening here.
0: Mm-hmm. To make us have a particular feeling, or, even if it's resentment at him <laughs> for yeah. putting us through yeah. this, you right. know? I mean, that, and that's true with some of his plays, too.
1: Yes, he's been accused of that. Going back to Krapp's last tape, it was, you know, 45 minutes of just this lone man on stage with a light bulb above his head. For me, I loved it, but it could induce the same feeling in an audience member of, like, we get it.
0: Let's move on. <laughs> yeah, <we get> it. <laughs> but it, then just when you've got the point, he introduces a new object, right? We keep getting these new objects. Yeah. The button The button hook the yeah. or yeah. the, the yeah. coffer.
1: And then there's the trap door, and the y- trap door, y- yeah. which we
0: never gets lifted up, right? But with the button hook comes that little flash of her boots and her stockings, mm. and then with that comes tears, mm. right. right?
1: And also only reference of emotion, I think, in yeah. it. Yeah, a couple those times just tears, there's tears yeah. and then the happiness at the end. But yeah. yeah, and it's funny because when I read that, Deborah, I didn't know if it was tears or tears. I I wasn't sure. I wasn't wasn't sure which one to choose.
0: That's another thing. You know, this isn't a play, so it isn't expressly designed to be read aloud or performed.
1: And I'll tell you, some of these sentences were hard to get out. What must this be like in French? Because, he I mean, these sentences and the play of language, and he's the translator of it, and it's originally written in French, And he talks about how he liked writing in French because he was more limited in that language. And so things were simpler. He had to phrase things more simply to great effect when it gets translated into English.
0: But also the the landscape he's describing is not French. It's very, very much Irish.
1: Yeah. And it's grim.
0: This sort of green landscape overrun by stones, white Mm -hmm. stones, chalk. And it's a place where when the cabin was built, there was clover coming right up to it, and now it's a place of, you know, stone, rocky stone everywhere. I don't know if this is a real landscape (laughs) from somewhere in Beckett's life or mind, or if it's entirely, you know, his imagined afterlife, perhaps, for this woman.
1: I mean, I'm getting the sense this is coming from a real place, and it's life and mind. It's reflective of the general erosion Of the human body and then Mm -hmm. also of the landscape.
0: Mm -hmm. What do you make of the other um, stage directions throughout? That's funny you say that. The the on, 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 and the careful. When do you think he says those things? What is guiding those insertions?
1: Uh, I mean, I was thinking of it as almost spurring himself, the author, to continue. Go on,
0: go on, go on. I guess the carefuls—the carefuls—are interesting to me, because what's he being careful of? Um, some of them come at moments where he might be cutting too close to an emotion. Mm. I guess.
1: Don't tread there.
0: Yeah, but then they're often followed by ons. Yeah, and <laughs> Meaning then right. you do tread there,
1: right? Um. And then there's where he um, does the stop asking questions. There's yes, like he's okay, the okay, answer- done with them. Yes, but yeah.
0: interestingly, he hasn't really been asking questions, or has he? Well, there were a few
1: moments where there are these series of questions, and then he he dispenses and he says something yeah. like, "You know, those have all been answered."
0: Maybe he's anticipating people like us saying, "Well, wait, what was this about?" Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> funny because I was reading
1: about uh, the play "Not I," mm-hmm. which is a monologue by just it's a woman. Mm -hmm. People were speculating about um, what plagued the character Mm -hmm. um, because she talks about being in a meadow and something happened, something transpired. People had speculated that she had been raped and he went, oh, my God, why would you even think that? That was Beckett's reaction. Mm It's like, well, if you're not giving us much, I mean, we're going to start filling in
0: the blanks. So he was annoyed that people filled in the blanks because I thought this invited interpretation.
1: At least in that instance, he was annoyed that you filled in the the blank in a way he did not want it filled in.
0: (laughs) Right, right, yeah.
1: He's got to be okay with us interpreting, unless he's one of those people. Unless he's just
0: not thinking about us, right? Because you know, there's the other element of his life, or especially of his estate, that everything has to be staged exactly as he wrote it. He's not leaving flexibility for interpretation in the stagings, right? Yeah. Um, the Beckett estate won't yeah. give permission for a performance if it's not hewing exactly to the text.
1: And for someone who writes for theater, who has to be cognizant of the audience, or maybe he felt the freedom now to go like, I don't care about, I don't care about the audience here. I'm doing yeah. my thing. Yeah, I'm doing my thing.
0: Why do you, Why do you think we start with um, with this woman looking at the evening star and the morning star at Venus? She just this kind of orbiting motion from one window mm-hmm. to the other to yeah. see the star rise and star fall. And
1: by the way, that's what uh, you, you brought up, stage directions, uh, the on. When I read that, I was seeing those ons as if direction for this character, mm-hmm. if we were to stage this.
0: Mm-hmm. The ones in the beginning? Yes, yeah. move yeah. now here, yeah. go now there. Yeah. We don't come back to that a whole lot. Like The beginning is very much about Venus and and these windows and later she is at the window but she's got the curtains closed all the yeah. time and and it's just blackness it seems like it begins with an image that's a little more hopeful oh yeah right okay. I mean if you're watching the morning star you watch you know, hmm. stargazing little more involved in the outside world okay
1: so you started you started with optimism
0: yeah huh sort of
1: okay that's interesting I had pessimism all the way. Yeah. I was going yeah. Well,
0: you know, it sets in pretty fast. <laughs> yeah.
1: And also the title, "Ill Seen, Ill Said," is setting you yeah. up for it.
0: Yeah. What do you think about that title?
1: It could almost be a reproach to our author.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You're not. You're not. I'm all not, the way through, he's yeah. criticizing I'm, himself. Yeah. I'm not yeah. saying this. Yeah. I'm not saying this the right way.
0: Yeah. Well, he keeps asking for the wrong word. What's That's the wrong right. word?
1: Yeah. He's. Doesn't like what he's seen, and he doesn't like how he said it, how he's describing it. That's how I got the title.
0: Yeah, and he can't quite see it either, right? It keeps disappearing. Right. He looks too close. It's gone. Yeah. He's doing something wrong, right? He's not not writing it the way he wants to. He's not seeing it the way he wants to. I mean,
1: this is emotional because if we're saying it's mom, if it's his mom, and it's almost like I want to give you this— tribute and i just can't do it the right way no i wanted to convey your life or your last days and it's not working out how i thought it would
0: yeah or just find some image of this woman whether Mm -hmm. whoever she is that reflects what he wants it to reflect and he's not getting there and she keeps closing her eyes makes it harder to see her you know, he's got—his eye is always open, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> almost yes. always, yep. uh, except towards the end. Um, yeah. So, yes, no one is seeing very well. She has her eyes closed, and she sits in the dark, and she's obscuring herself. And I guess the argument could
1: be made, can you see any life accurately?
0: hmm
1: This woman's or his own or— any characters? Are we all mysteries?
0: Yeah, and there's no attempt to, to get at the woman's inner life.
1: Oh, yeah, that's a good, good really? point.
0: Right? We're looking at her behavior. Yes. Her trotting out through the snow. It's always winter. She's always walking through the snow to this tomb, and it's very little, and it's a the... little bit at a time. Yep. And then at the end, she's lying down, and she's covered everything except her head with this great coat. Mm-hmm. So it's all kind of hidden from view. This is just—it's—it's it's depressing.
1: I mean, <laughs> um, I mean, listen, my mom died not a couple of years ago, and I was getting mom and my own mom in this, and her yeah. aloneness in those last days. And speaking of inner life, she had dementia, so who know? I, you know, didn't see much inner life going on. It—it it was just mm-hmm. the activities of living, of of just motion. That's all we could get from her. So, in that, I mean, Beckett nails it with that. Yeah. Really.
0: Yeah. So, not so ill said.
1: <laughs> yes. He managed to do a fairly decent job with, <laughs> 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 with capturing the human condition. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Saeed. Oh, this was great. Thank you, Deborah.
0: Samuel Beckett, who died in 1989, was an Irish playwright, novelist, and poet. His plays include Waiting for Godot, Endgame, and Happy Days, and his prose works include More Pricks Than Kicks, Malloy, and Malone Dies. He was awarded the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1969. Saeed Serafizadeh has published a memoir and two story collections, Brief Encounters with the Enemy, which was a finalist for the Penn Robert W. Bingham Prize in 2014, and American Estrangement, which came out in 2021. He's been publishing fiction in The New Yorker since 2010. You can download 190 previous episodes of The New Yorker Fiction Podcast or subscribe to the podcast for free in Apple Podcasts. On The Writer's Voice Podcast, you can hear short stories from the magazine read by their authors. You can find The Writer's Voice and other New Yorker podcasts on your podcast app. Tell us what you thought of this program on our Facebook page or rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. The New Yorker Fiction Podcast is produced by Michelle Moses. I'm Deborah Treisman. Thanks for listening.